worthy of our devotion, worthy of our life, worthy of our service. It's just a, he is just a wonderful Lord. Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, Lord, our hearts are full when we think about you and what you have been to us and what you mean to us. Lord, we thank you and we do say that you are worthy. And Lord, today we sing that you are worthy and we say that you are worthy. We just proclaim your worthiness. Lord, I pray today, if there's anybody in this room that does not know you and, and know what you can mean to a life, I pray bring them to the Lord Jesus today. May they realize that in Christ they can find the most valuable treasure in this world. Father, whatever the need is today, we lift this service up to you. Would you be Lord over it? Would you move today as you have so planned for this service? May your name be exalted. Let your saints worship you that is worthy. So bless now and we'll praise you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. turn around and shake hands and fellowship welcome our visitors let them know how glad we are to have
Thank you. You may be seated. <laughs> Let's let our ushers come forward to receive our offering and let me welcome our visitors as they do so. And let me say it's a joy to have you. I've met a few of you this morning and it's a joy to have you in the services. And if you have not filled out a visitor's card, we'd appreciate if you would do so. If you were given a bulletin, there's a little tear-off uh, tag or a little card in there you can tear out. And if not, there are visitor's cards in the back of the pews. But we're glad you're here, and we want to send you some information this week about the church. So if you'd do that for us, we'd appreciate it a whole lot. I hope that many of you now are praying about our special Sunday that is coming up the 3rd of May. Say just a word about it. We are doing some addition to the building here putting an addition on the building we're move, adding to the front of the building which will give us uh, about twice the room we have out front plus restrooms as you come in the main entrance to the auditorium and we're going to be receiving a special offering for that the third Sunday of May that's our chest of Joash offering and that's based upon a story in the Bible and uh, that's always a special day here so I hope that you'll pray much about your giving that day a very special gift that's the day we ask everybody just to really do something different do something unique and uh, we ask you that day everybody to give a thousand dollars nothing to it just what it's what we ask for amen but no everybody to give what they can and that's coming up the third Sunday of May so you don't want to forget that and I hope that many of you are praying about it our needs this year are by far greater than any year uh, each year we have uh, done something to our buildings and grounds through the chest of Joe Ashcourt's story there is how they built a chest and the people brought in their money for the repairing of the temple and we do something inside one year something outside the next year and this is kind of both of them like I say we're adding on to the back of the building and putting the drive through out here on the side for the weather and different things all of it's going to run around hundred and twenty thousand dollars so we're going to have great needs so you pray about it and I know the Lord will bless you and then if you haven't got your tickets for the pig picking uh, many of you are new and don't under, don't know what it is it's put on by the believers class if you haven't gone you need to go they have a great time and uh, many of you go, so I hope that you'll get your tickets to it. Tommy Eller, Tommy, would you raise your hand over here? He's got tickets, and Janice Delaney, Janice, where are you at? She's got tickets. See one of those for that. Also, be remembering the Holloway family this afternoon. Of course, many of you know that one of our members, Miss Evelyn Holloway, went home to be with the Lord this week, and her funeral is this afternoon at 2.30 at Lane's Southcrest. So let's remember the family and be praying for them. Let's pray. Father, we thank you now for the joy of being able to give to you and to express our love for you through the giving of material matters. Bless the offering now. Help us to learn to give. Help us to be obedient in giving. Continue to open our hearts to what you have for us in the service. In Jesus' name, amen.
us not of works, nor tell of good deeds, for not have I done to merit His grace. All glory and praise shall rest upon Him, so willing to.
would be the tomb, but the grave it could not hold him. Angels rolled the stone away. Now the mighty rose of Sharon is still blooming yet today. I remember when I met him. How the spirit took control He established my going And now he stars in my life's row But for a man to come from heaven Knowing then of Calvary Oh, what love beyond all measure
God's people said, Amen. Amen. Let's open our Bible to the book of Proverbs. I want you to find chapter 2 and chapter 11, looking at chapter 11 first. I tell you, the music has ministered to my heart, ministered to my heart from the very beginning this morning. On Sunday night, we've been making our way through 1 Corinthians, and uh, we're in chapter 14. We'll conclude chapter 14 tonight. We're going to be thinking about, if you're going to do it, this is how to do it. And we'll look at that tonight. But uh, my heart was drawn to 
uh, statement there and I thought a lot about it. Of course, Paul was talking about the Corinthians and how basically what was going on was just nothing more than emotion. And they had somewhat disengaged their mind from what was going on. But Paul said, if you're going to sing in the spirit, you're going to sing with the mind. What he's talking about is that uh, we are to be an emotional people. And there are to be emotions in our services. But at the same time, there is our mind or our thought. And I really believe that what he's talking about is that our emotions will be a spinoff of what we think about. That as we think about God and who he is and what he's done, then we will respond in some form of emotion such as, you isn't thinking about the fact that Jesus Christ, God's son, came to this earth we, sh we should have went to hell, but he came to this earth as the Lamb of God to wash our sins away. You get to thinking about that. It won't be long, boy, you'll feel something. Can I get an amen there? And so I, I thank the Lord for it. I praise him. We've been thinking about on Sunday mornings about good things of Proverbs, the good things of Proverbs. You'll find as you read the book of Proverbs, and, and I have encouraged you over the past couple of weeks and would encourage you to do so, to read a chapter a day from Proverbs, such as uh, the chapter that relates to that particular day. Read that chapter. Let that be your daily devotional book. I have several devotional books I have been reading and uh, enjoy and whatever like that, but nothing has enriched me any more than reading a chapter a day from Proverbs. As, I was, as I've been using Proverbs as a daily devotional guide, I was struck by the many, many times that he talks about something good. Something good, for example. Would you stand as we honor the reading of the Word? In Proverbs 11, this has come, become like a theme verse to what we're looking at. But in Proverbs 11:23, 23, he says, The desire of the righteous is only good, but the expectation of the wicked is wrath. He tells us in Proverbs eleven twenty three that a righteous person desires good things. In fact, he said that a righteous person, the only thing they do desire is that which is good. So it's like Solomon is saying that a righteous man, a just man, or we would say it in, 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 in modern terms, a real dedicated Christian, the passion of their heart is for that which is good. But you'll find as you look in Solomon in the book of Proverbs that Solomon not only talks about what a righteous person desires, that which is good, but he talks about many good things. Now, we've looked at a couple of them thus far. Look in chapter 2 and notice verse 9. We thought about a good man. Solomon talks about a good man. Thought about a favor of the good man. A good man obtaineth favor of the Lord, Solomon said family of a good man, a good man leaveth an inheritance to his children. And the fullness of a good man, he talks about how that the good man is filled or he's contented or satisfied, a good man. A righteous person desires to be a good man. Last Sunday morning, we thought about a good name. Solomon mentions many different kinds of names. We thought about a disgraceful name. He talked about the name of the wicked thought about a disgusting name. He talked about the name of the scorner. Solomon said that the scorner is an abomination to man. He's disgusting to others. But a delightful name, that is a good 
name. He talks about a good name. I want you to look this morning in chapter 2, verse 9, and I want us to think about a good path. Not only does he talk about a good man and a good name, but also a good path. The righteous will desire a good path. Notice verse 9. Then shalt thou understand righteousness and judgment and equity. Yea, every good path. Thank you. you may be seated. Let's pray. And this morning we're going to learn some things about this good path. Let's pray. Our Father, this morning in Jesus' name, we do glory in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. We glory in the cross for what the Lord Jesus Christ did for us on the cross. We realize this morning that our only hope of heaven is through Jesus Christ and what he did for us on Calvary. We come this morning mindful, Lord, that not only does the cross have passed have a past impact in our life, but even today, the cross works in our behalf. And we come this morning and we glory in the cross of the Lord Jesus. And as they have sung and as Paul said, God forbid that we should glory save in the cross of the Lord Jesus. May we not boast in who we are, what we've done. May we not, Lord, boast or lean upon anything that we are in ourselves. But Lord, may we lean totally upon the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. So we do glory. Father, we thank you now for your word. Thank you for the wonderful book of Proverbs, these heavenly rules that have been given to us, these wonderful sayings that have been given to us in your word, sayings to help us in day-by-day -day situations. Lord, help us to be a good man. Lord, help us to have a good name. Lord, help us to walk in good paths. So speak to us today. And we'll thank you and praise you for it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Whenever I think of a path or paths, I can't help but think of Brother Tom Hayes. Tom is with us every fall in our Bible conference, and he's been with us many, many times, a wonderful preacher of the Bible. But I always think of Brother Tom when I think of paths because he calls his ministry PASS, P-A-T-H, which stands for Preaching and Teaching His Salvation. Brother Tom puts out a quarterly publication called PASS, and he always has on the front of the little book a picture of a path. And most of these are from the Holy Land. He goes about once a year, and he takes pictures of paths. Some of them were a path in Jericho, or maybe a path going through Gethsemane, a path going through Jerusalem, whatever there. But he always has a picture of a path. And I've told him, Tom, you have got to have more pictures of paths than anybody I've ever seen in my life. I've thought about one day finding a picture of a path leading up to an outhouse and sending that to him, sending that to him and say, this would look good on the front of your book. But I think of paths, I always think of Brother Tom. Solomon has a lot to say about paths. In fact, I counted 18 verses in the book of Proverbs this week that has reference to a path or to pass. So pass is a prominent subject in the book of Proverbs. Well, as we see in chapter 2, verse 9, as we continue thinking about the good things of Proverbs, we find in verse 9 that he talks about a good path. 
Well, what is the good path? What is he meaning and what is he describing when he talks about the good path in Proverbs 2 and verse 9? Well, I want to point out three things about a good path. I find paths mentioned, as I said, some 18 times in Proverbs. Now, look at all of them. But I do want to point out a few of the references in Proverbs that talks about a path, and I think it will help us to identify what the good path is. Let me give you three things. First of all, I want you to look at chapter 2, verse 9, and I want to say this, that a good path is a decided path. When you talk about a good path, you're talking about a decided path. Again, notice our text in Proverbs 2, 9. Then shalt thou understand righteousness and judgment and equity, yea, every good path. Now Solomon is talking about understanding certain things. He's wanting us to understand every good path. He's wanting us to know what a good path is. You'll find in verse 9 that he talks about understanding three things that relates to a good path. He talks about understanding righteousness. He talks about understanding judgment. And he talks about understanding equity. All of these as they relate to understanding a good path. Now, when he talks about understanding righteousness, he's talking about simply that which is right. A simple definition for the word righteousness is the word right. It is being right with God. And when the Bible talks about righteousness, it is talking about being right in a spiritual context. Again, being right spiritually, being, a, being in a right relationship with God, it is a matter of being right. Now, when he talks about understanding righteousness as it relates to a good path, he's talking about understanding the right path to take. He's talking about a right path and understanding which is the right path. He talks about understanding judgment. The word judgment that he uses there is a word that talks about rendering a verdict. It's like Solomon is saying, I want you to understand what the good path is. I want you to understand the right path, and then I want you to render the verdict that you are going to walk in the right path or choose the good path. Understand what is the good path and then determine and make the decision that I am going to go down the good path. And then he talks about understanding equity. And the word equity there talks about that which is even. It is a word that describes something that is straight. It is a path that is set in contrast to that which is crooked. For example, look down in verse 15. He said, whose ways are crooked and they are forward in their path. It is a straight path set in contrast to a crooked path. So Solomon said, now this is what I want you to understand. I want you to understand what is the right path. And when you understand what the right path is, then this is the decision I want you to make. I want you to make the decision that you're going to go down the right path and not down the crooked path. What he's talking about here in all of these words, all of these words are suggesting that there are two paths that you can take in life. There is a good path, there is a bad path. There is a straight path or an even path, and there is a crooked path. And you have to make the decision which path you are going to take, whether you'll go down the straight path or whether you'll go down the crooked path. He is talking about a path that you decide to take. So when you talk about a good path, you are talking about a decided path. Now, let me just say two things about this matter of choosing which path you'll take. 
Everybody this morning is facing a choice. There are two paths to take in life, the good path, the bad path, the, the straight path, or the crooked path. Now, which you choose and what you choose and which path you go down, I want to say two things about it. One, it is an individual choice. When you talk about this matter of deciding which path you're going to take in life, I want to remind you today that it's a path that every one of us, is a choice that every one of us must make. I think about the words of James Russell Lowe, and he said it well when he said, Once to every man and nation comes the moment to decide in the strife of truth and falsehood for the good or the evil side. I think about what John Oxham wrote. He said, To every soul there openeth a high way and a low, and every man decideth which way his soul shall go. Both of them are right. And every one of our lives, there is a point of decision. There is a decision to make. There are two paths that we face in life, and we have to make the choice. Am I going to go down this path, or am I going to go down this path? Am I going to go down the good path, or am I going to go down the bad path? Am I going down the straight path? Am I going down the crooked path? It is a choice that every person makes in life. I make the choice every day. You make the choice every day. Somewhere there is that ultimate choice of what we're going to do with our life, whether we're going to go this way or whether we're going to go that way. It is an individual choice. I read a story this week about a fella that tried to pose a uh, puzzler to a man who was known for his wisdom. And he walked up to the man and he said, Sir, I have a bird in my hand. Is it dead or is it alive? He opened his hand and let the bird fly away. But the wise man looked at him and he said, Sir, the answer is in your power and in your hands. It is what you will. In other words, he was saying to the man, it's up to you whether the bird be dead or alive. It is a matter of choice. Now, there is two paths to take in life. There's a good path, there's a bad path, a straight path and an even path, and it's up to you which one you'll take. It is your decision. It is your choice. It's like one fellow said, the Lord, he's always voting for man. The devil, he's always voting against man. Then man himself votes and he breaks the tie. You decide which path you're going to go down. And it has been well said that a successful journey does not depend upon which way the wind blows, but according to the set of the sail. I cannot control which way the wind blows, but I can control which direction I set myself. You have a choice to make. It is an individual choice. But second of all, may I say, it is an important choice. I once read the story about a, on the top of a hill in a Midwestern state, there stands a courthouse. And this courthouse is so situated that raindrops falling on the roof Oh, on one side of the roof, one falling, falling on one side of the roof, travel by the way of the Great Lakes into the Atlantic, while drops that fall on the other side of the roof try find their way through the Ohio and the Mississippi to the Gulf. Just a little breath of wind can determine whether a single raindrop is going to end up in the Gulf or in the Atlantic. And I say this is an important decision because the path you choose determines where you're going to end up. You see, there are two paths in life, and you choose whether to go down this path or go down that path. 
And that's an individual choice, but it is a very, very, very important choice because which path you choose to take is going to determine where you're going to end up. In fact, Solomon describes the outcome of either path that you take. Look in chapter 2. Notice beginning in verse 18. He said, For her house inclineth unto death, and her paths unto death. Look at verse 19. None that go unto her return again, neither take they hold of the paths of life. Solomon said there are two paths that you choose, that, two paths that you face in life. One of them are the paths unto death. And the other is the paths unto life. Now, what is he talking about when he talks about in verse 18, the paths unto death? The paths of death lead to sin. The paths of death lead to sorrow. The paths of death lead to shame. The paths of death lead to suffering. What is this path? Look in verse 11. He said, Discretion shall preserve thee, understanding shall keep thee, to deliver thee from the way of the evil man, from the man that speaketh forward things, who leave the paths of uprightness to walk in the ways of darkness, who rejoice to do evil and delight in the frowardness of the wicked, whose ways are crooked and they are forward in their paths, to deliver thee from the strange woman, even the stranger which flattereth with her words, which forsaketh the guide of her youth and forgetteth the covenant of her God, for her house inclineth unto death and her pass unto death. What he's talking about in the path of death, it is a path of evil people. It is a path of evil places. It is a path of evil passions. It is a path of evil pursuits. Verse 13, it is a path of darkness. In verse 18, it is a path of death. Now he says there's two paths you can take. One of them is a path that will lead unto death. Now you mark it down. Listen to me. You mark down that what God says in his word is absolutely true. And here is a certain outcome. You go down this path. You go down the crooked path. You go down the bad path. It always ends up in sin. And sin always ends up in sorrow. Sin always ends up in shame. Sin always ends up in suffering. It is a path that leads to darkness, destruction, and even death. It is a path that men follow. Look at verse 17, for example. He talks about they forsaketh the guide of her youth and forgetteth the covenant of her God. How many have we known that forsook the guide of their youth? How many people do you know that were brought up right? They were taught what was right and wrong. Brought up by a Christian mom and dad. A mom and dad that served God. A mom and dad that honored God. And a mom and dad that brought them up in the things of God. But then somewhere in their life, they forsook the guide of their youth. They turned their back on that which they had been taught. Instead of going down the good path that mom and dad tried to steer them down, when it came time for them to make the choice, they forsook the guide of their youth and they went down the crooked path. He even talks about forgetting the covenant of their God. Forgetting God, forgetting any kind of promise they made to God, any kind of 
vow they made to God, any kind of relationship they had to God. There was a day that they forsook that, they forgot everything they'd been taught, they forgot everything they'd ever known in their life, and they left God out and they went down the crooked path. Solomon describes that. We all know people like that. And Solomon describes that kind of path as a path with a certain end. Mark it down. There are two paths in life to choose from. If you go down the crooked path somewhere, it always ends up as a path unto death. But in verse 19, he talks about the paths of life. We'll look at that a little bit more and learn a little bit about this path of life, but it's a path that leads to life, abundant life, a path that leads to eternal life. It is a path unto death and a path unto life. Two paths. And it's a choice that you make. And because of the, where the outcome of each path, that it's a very, very, very important decision. I read about a fellow by the name of Bill Hunt. He's a Montana guide. And it seemed that for some, on one occasion that he killed a grizzly bear in a protected area. You know, you murder babies, but you, you don't kill an eagle, you don't kill an animal in a protected area, whatever like that. But this fellow, this Montana, Montana guide by the name of Bill Hunt killed a grizzly bear in a protected area. And so he was brought to court, and when he was questioned about the matter, this is what he said. When I saw the bear come smoking down on me, he said, I didn't have any trouble deciding who was the endangered species. Well, I want to say to you, that when you think about a good path and you think about a bad path, you think about a straight path and you think about a crooked path and the outcome of either path, then I don't have any trouble deciding which path I'm going to go down. If the path, one path leads to life, then that's the path you want to take. If the other leads to death, then what is the decision? Everybody ought to say, I'm going down the good path. It is a decision that you make. You choose the good path. It is a decided path. Look in chapter 3. Let me give you a second thing about this path. I love this passage. Many of you, probably one of your favorite passages. But not only is the good path a decided path, a path that you choose to go down, but it is also a directed path. Look in Proverbs 3, verse 5. He said, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and notice this, and he shall direct, direct thy paths. What is a good path? Well, for one thing, it is a decided path. It is a path you choose to take. But it is also a directed path, for he said, he would direct thy paths. I want to say to you, that is a wonderful promise in the Bible. What a wonderful promise. What a glorious promise to experience in your life to know that your paths are directed by God. It is a good path. And if you've ever walked down directed paths, then you know that it is a good path. It is a directed path. What is it talking about? Look at our text, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. For one thing, in verse 5, it talks about God in charge of life. God in charge of life. Look at it again. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. He's telling us to trust the Lord. And he's telling us that we can trust him because he is a God that is trustworthy. It is someone we can rely upon. He's telling us why to trust in the Lord. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not unto thine own understanding. You see the word lean there? It is a word that describes support. There come signs in our life that we don't have it in ourselves to support ourselves in certain situations. Have you ever been there? 
when you didn't know what to do. You could not lean on your own understanding. You could not support yourself by your own decisions. You could not support yourself by, through what you were facing in life or what you were carrying in life. There are times that we cannot support ourselves within ourselves. But I'm glad, thank God, that in those times that I do not have to support myself, but I can trust in the Lord and lean on Him. And He'll support me in those times. And He said, in all thy ways acknowledge Him in verse 6. In other words, what he's saying is it put God first in your life. He's saying not, do not lean on your own understanding, do not rely on yourself, but in all your ways acknowledge him, put him in charge. Another way to put it is make him power of attorney. I mean let him call the shots. Let him make the decisions in your life. Let him be in charge of your life. It is a God in charge of life. But second of all, it is a God in control of life. For when you put him in charge, then he takes control and he shall direct thy paths. In other words, he'll lead you down the good path. In other words, he takes control and he will direct your past. I want you to know something this morning. If you'll put God first in your life, then he'll take absolute control of your life. He will run the affairs of your life. He will be in control of the affairs of your life. He will direct your past. In fact, I think when I, thought, when I was looking at this passage this week and thinking about it, I thought about my being here today. It is no accident that I am the pastor of Temple Baptist Church. Now you think that you called me and you think you liked me and voted me in. Well, I'd hate to burst your bubble, but you really didn't have anything to do with it. Can I get an amen? <laughs> I remember, listen, when I, when I first got saved back in 1972, a few months after I got saved, I got saved in April, is in July, on a Tuesday night, I believe it's July the 12th. But that particular night, where it was really that Sunday night, prior to that Tuesday night. But I, I went to the altar one night, and I knelt down in the corner of that old altar, just about a foot from the place that I knelt the day God saved me. I had a Sunday school teacher named Phil Small, and big old fella, big tall fella. And he knelt down beside me and put his arm around me and said, Ken, what can I pray with you about? And I said to him that night, I said, Phil... I said, Brother Small, I said, I want to give my life to God. I want to give everything to God. And I meant it that night. I meant it with all of my heart, no strings attached. I wanted God to be in charge of my life. I mean, I was saying, God, I want to give my life to you. I want to give everything to you. God, I want to, I want to be what you want me to be. I want to do what you want me to do. I meant it that night. There was no reservations in my heart. I meant it. I was 16 years old. I've often been asked, Brother Ken, uh, how do you know when God calls you to preach? And my answer has always been, if you are called, you will know it. That's the only way I know how to explain it to you. It's not a matter of bright lights in the sky or whatever there. It's just it's something in your heart, you'll know it. And when I got off my knees that Sunday night after giving everything to God, God knowing God being my witness today, I was not holding one thing back from God. I wanted him to have everything. And I meant it in my heart from that point on, I wasn't going to do nothing but live for God. And I got off my knees that night and I knew what he wanted me to do. I had never thought about preaching beforehand. I had not weighed the idea. I had not entertained the idea. 
But I got off my knees that night. I knew what God wanted me to do. I turned that thing around in my heart for a couple of days, and then on Tuesday night, I gave everything to God. Everything. I said, Lord, I'll be a preacher. I'll do what you want me to do. Listen, I can testify this morning that ever since that night, I could tell you event after event after event that has transpired in my life, and when I look back, I see how God had directed my past. Again, I come back to me being here. I've told, told you how it worked before, but I'm going to tell it again. But I remember the Sunday morning, we got ready to go to, come, go to Bible school. I got saved when I first ran to preach, whatever, then I wanted to go to Bible school. I wanted to learn. I wanted to try to better myself and whatever like that. And the only school I knew of was Tennessee. I didn't know there was another school existed. I mean, I had never heard. I hadn't grown up in church. I didn't know there were seminaries here and Bible schools here and whatever. The only one I knew about was Tennessee Temple, and that was due to my pastor having gone there. So as far as I was concerned, if, if I was going to go to Bible school, that was where I was going to go. I didn't know you could go anywhere else. But I, we packed up, moved, me and Sherry got married, and about a month after we got married, we moved down to Chattanooga, Tennessee, loaded everything we had in the back of a, uh, my brother-in-law's Ford pickup. We moved down here in July, I think it was, of 1974. Got us a little old apartment over on Duncan Avenue. We was tickled to death. I mean, it wasn't a mansion. Just a little three-room house. And this little old kitchen and little old bedroom and, and whatever. They had a bed in there. You didn't worry about rolling out of the bed. You just rolled back and forth on the wall. You'd, if you roll this way, you hit the wall. And little old bathroom so small. You had to back into it to use it. I mean, it... But we were tickled to death. We was in the will of God. But I remember I got here and when I was in high school and whatever, I had worked in a tire store in the afternoon at a little tire store there in town, Cali Springville, whatever it was. And uh, so I thought, well, I'll get, find me a job in a tire store. So I went around all the tire stores in Chattanooga. Nobody was hiring. I thought, I, you know, whatever like that, especially in my hours, I had to go to classes in the morning and, Need a job in the afternoon. Nobody said they didn't have anything or they couldn't work with my hours and whatever like that. And it w weeks, I looked for a job. And I remember as I drive down 23rd Street quite often and see General Tire, but it, dealt, it, it was truck tires. I had never worked in truck tires. I'd always worked in, in car tires and whatever like that. But finally one day, something kept saying, going in there. So I walked in and asked him, do you need any help? Fellow said to me, no, we got all the help we need. We really don't need anybody now. So I turned around, walked out the door, and started to get in my car. And he opened the door, and he hollered at me. and said, come here just a minute. He said, are you free today? I said, yes, I am. He said, would you mind running one of my boys to Dunlap, Tennessee? I had no idea where Dunlap, Tennessee was. I'd never heard of Dunlap, Tennessee. He said, he got caught driving drunk, and he's lost his license, and I need to have these tires delivered to Dunlap, Tennessee. If you'll drive him over there, I'll pay you for it. I said, fine, didn't have anything else to do, so I drove him to Dunlap, Tennessee. And he went over there, and I sat there in the truck and watched him work. That's what I was supposed to do. I was just supposed to drive, say amen. <laughs> drove him back that evening, and the fellow there, his name was Bill, and he said to me, he said, are you free tomorrow? And I said, yes. And uh, he said, well, can you drive him to so-and-so? So I did that for the week, and on Friday if afternoon, when I finally brought this boy back, he said, it looks like I'm going to need somebody. He said, Do you, would you like to have a job? I thought to myself, thank God he got drunk. Hey, man, that's the way I felt about it. <laughs> 
No, I put that in parentheses. But anyway, I started working. I was driving down Rossville Boulevard one day, and I got stopped right out here at the traffic light. And I looked over and saw a sign there, Temple Baptist Church. Never heard of Temple Baptist Church. Never heard. Saw the name there, T.D. Burgess. Never heard of T.D. Burgess and whatever. But in my heart, I thought to myself, at least I thought I was doing the thinking, but I realize now somebody else was doing the thinking. But I said, I believe I'll go to church there on Sunday. I told Sherry, I said, we're going to go here to church on the boulevard, whatever. And so we came to church here on a Sunday morning in 1974. In July of 1974 is our first Sunday here. Walked in the back door, and one of the first people to meet me was Brother Burgess, which, who was the pastor at the time. And he walked up to me and shook our hands and whatever and asked us our name and whatever and said, where are you from? And we said, from Boone, North Carolina. He said, oh, really? You know how he is, teeth and hair is jacked up about that high at that time, whatever. <laughs> he, oh, really? He said, well, praise God. He said, me and my wife, Joy, are going to Boone this week on our vacation. You think, now, what a coincidence. No, no, it wasn't coincidence. It was providence. We told him about our home church and whatever. And so on Wednesday night, he visited our home church. The pastor happened to know him. I did not know him, but our pastor knew him and whatever. And, and that night, Brother Burgess made mention that uh, we had come to the services there on Sunday and whatever there. So we met our family and, and different ones and like that. And somebody said to him something about Sherry singing. He never did say anything if anybody said anything to him about me preaching. But he did say somebody said to him about Sherry singing. He come back on Sunday. It was the following Wednesday night. Some of you were here. And he said, I want uh, Sherry Trivet to come up and sing for us. He said, I met, her, met the, her family, and they all talked about her singing. So she got up to sing. I think she sung Amazing Grace. I'll, I, you, some of you remember. I remember the place. I mean, folks went wild. I remember Harry Bruce. He got to run. I remember him running around back and forth up here, preaching, shouting at the same time. I mean, just everybody, the place just went wild that Wednesday night. After service, Brother Burgess, he said, uh, would you be interested in coming to church here? I knew he wanted Sherry more than he did me, but <laughs> I thought, praise God. I'll get in, but anyway, so he said, would you be interested to come to church here? And I said, yeah. I went, went home, went to our little apartment, picked up the telephone, and called my pastor in. I thought about this. I hadn't thought about this a long time. I remember the night he called me. I remember he said something to me. He said, you don't realize it yet, but God is really in what has happened tonight. And I didn't have any idea how much God was in. I, you, I mean, you think about it. We come in here on a Sunday morning, which has happened to be the Sunday prior to him going to Boone, North Carolina, which connected him to our family, connected him to our home church, which connected him to Sherry's ability to sing and whatever there, connected us and put us in this church. About a year later, I, well, it wasn't quite a year later. He called me one afternoon, Brother Burge did, about 5 o'clock. He said, what are you doing tonight? I said, I'm going to church. He said, well, listen, I need you to go to Lafayette, Georgia. pastor called me, said he, he's uh, hurt his back or something. He'd be in service there, but he needs somebody to preach. He called me, wonder if I knew of anybody that could. He said, this, this is the name of the church. You need to go down, go down and preach tonight. Bethel Memorial Baptist Church in Lafayette, Georgia. I drove down that Wednesday night and went out East Reed Road to Bethel Memorial Baptist Church. Brother A.A. Conaway was the pastor. I preached for him that night. About a week later, he called me and said, Brother Trivet, can you come and hold a meeting for me? I said, yes. My first revival. I went and preached at Bethel Memorial Baptist Church. 
I'll make a long story short, about a year later, Bethel Memorial Baptist Church called me to be their pastor. That was my first church. Now think about it. It all got started on a particular Sunday morning when it, we walked in this door and it just so happened that the pastor here was going to Boone, North Carolina, our hometown that week, which connected us to this church and got us in this church. And when he got us in this church, then it connected us to the first church that I ever pastored. But that's not all. God in his grace put us in your heart and God in his grace put you in our heart. And 10 years later, after I was gone, then God put me back here. And you say, boy, that was, all. Oh, that is really coincidence. No, 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 no. You put God in charge of your life and he will direct your past. He takes control of your life. He is in charge of life. It is a good path. I say to you, I look back through these years and all the wonderful things that's happened and I say, glory to God, a good path is a directed path. Amen? It is a God in control. But let me give you a third and a final thing. Look in chapter 3, verse 17. When you talk about a good path, you're not only talking about a decided path and a directed path, but verse 17, it is a delightful path. Proverbs 3, 17, her ways are ways of pleasantness and all her paths are peace. Now, Solomon's talking about wisdom. Much of, Solomon, much of Proverbs is about wisdom. But here he compares wisdom to a beautiful woman. And as he talks about wisdom, he describes a delightful path that a good path is. Notice real quickly. Notice he talks about the grace that favors our life. Why is it a delightful path? You look in verse 17. He said, her ways are ways of pleasantness. You see that word pleasant, pleasantness? It is a word that talks about grace, a graceful way or a graceful matter. He's talking about her ways are ways of grace. They are ways of pleasantness. Now, you listen to me. You get on the good path. It becomes a path that is strewn with the blessings of God's grace. What is grace is the unmerited favor of God. It is what God bestows upon us that is undeserved but nevertheless bestowed upon us. What I'm saying today is this, that when you go down a good path, it is a path that God blesses and is a path of blessing and where God just honors you with riches that are far greater than silver and gold. He talks about it in verse 14. It is far more than anything you can compare to in life in verse 15. It is far greater than riches and honor in verse 6, 16 there. He's talking about a path a blessing. I think about John chapter 1 and verse 16. I never know this before to this week, but it talks about in him we have received the fullness of God, grace upon grace or grace in grace. And that phrase literally means grace upon grace, like the waves of the sea. One may come and you know that another's right behind it. And when you talk about being on a good path, you're talking about God's grace bestowing upon you blessings. And here's the glorious thing about it. This blessing comes and you know that there's another right behind it. It is grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. It is a delightful path because of the grace that favors our life. It is a delightful path, secondly, because of the gladness that fills our life. It is paths of peace. You don't know who the happiest people in the world are. There are people going down the good path. 
I remember one time reading a definition of joy. Someone said joy is a flag flown in the castle, flown from the castle of the heart when the king is in residence there. I never really understood that until one occasion, one of my trips to England, and I visited Buckingham Palace. I think Sherry was with me at the time. And, uh, but when you go to Buckingham Palace, I happened to ask someone there, I said, I wonder if the queen's in today. And this fellow began to tell me how to know if the queen was in. He first of all pointed out to me the guards. There's this huge gate around Buckingham Palace in this gravel court where they do their exchanging the guard and whatever there. But there's two guards that stand outside that gate in their red uniforms standing there stiff as a board in their bare hats and whatever like that. But on the inside, right next to the main entrance of Buckingham Palace is two little guardhouses. And he pointed at it and he said, there are only two guards there today. Do you see that? And I said, yes. He said, if the queen was in, there would be four guards standing there. Well, there's only two guards today. That means the queen is not in her residence at the moment. And then he pointed at the top. He said, do you see the flagpole? I said, yes. He said, there is no flag flying. And he said, if the flag was flying, it would indicate the queen was in. But the flag not flying indicates that the queen is not in her residence at the moment. And then it dawned on me what that writer meant, that joy is the flag which is flown from the castle of the heart when the king is residence there. I'm going to tell you something. When you walk down a good path, the flag of joy will always fly in your heart. Because it is paths of peace. It is paths of joy. It is paths of happiness. It is a great path. Look in chapter 4, verse 18. Let me hurry. Chapter 4, verse 18. Notice what he said. But the path of the just is as a shining light that shineth more and more under the perfect day. It is not only a good path to get on, but it gets better and better every day. Amen? It's a good path. Here are two paths in life that you've got a choice to make. Are you going to go down a good path or a bad path? Are you going to go down a straight path or a crooked path? It's up to you. You make the choice, very important choice, because whichever path you choose determines where you're going to end up. If you go down the good path, the straight path, you'll find that it'll be a path that God will direct and you'll find that it'll be a path of blessings and a path of joy. You say, Brother Ken, how can I get on the good path? Jesus talked about in Matthew 7 two ways, two roads, two paths. One leads to destruction and the one leads to everlasting life. And he said, choose which path or road you will take. You know you know how to get on the good path? It starts by simply choosing Jesus Christ as your Savior. That's how you get on the good path. In fact, he's the one who puts you on the good path. It starts with you coming to Christ receiving him and he's saying, I don't want to go down this path that leads to hell. I don't want to go down this path that leads to destruction. I don't want to go down this path that is filled with multitudes. I want to go down this path that leads to eternal life. I want to go down this path that leads to abundant life. I want to go down this path that leads to life. It's your choice. Let's stand our feet, please. Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed.